Hi, I'm David Freudberg, and I'm on a mission. Since I was a high school intern in public radio back in NPR's first year on the air, I've devoted my working life to seeking out and disseminating knowledge that I hope will be enlightening and will benefit the lives of our listeners. But the grants we get, the generous support provided from foundations and some others, simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep this going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. Children of incarcerated parents are the most at-risk population in our country. If we can intervene in the lives of these children, uh, we can, I think, begin to reduce the prison population. Finding ways to help save the millions of children left behind when their parents are locked up in prison. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It was back in 2002 that the total number of incarcerated Americans exceeded 2 million for the first time. The surge in drug prosecutions, frequently for nonviolent offenses, has swollen the population of men and women who are locked up, in turn affecting millions of their loved ones on the outside. When we increased incarceration fourfold in this country, we never meant to harm the children. Jeremy Travis, now a researcher at the Urban Institute in Washington, served as director of the government's National Institute of Justice. The children are not the ones who committed the crimes. It's their parents who committed the crimes. So we've harmed, indirectly, a whole generation of children who are now having difficulties growing up, difficulties coping, difficulties uh, realizing their own, own potential. And in many cases, those difficulties are manifested in antisocial behavior, criminal behavior, delinquency. So we've reaped this whirlwind of a generation that's at risk because we have punished the generation of their parents. Children of prisoners frequently carry an emotional burden. They can have difficulty forming human attachments, processing information, relating positively to their peers, and succeeding academically. Often they suffer depression. For reasons not of their own making, these kids need support. Imani Davis in Oakland, California, whose father is incarcerated, counsels children of prisoners. I think I give them hope a little bit because I think that many of them don't ever see themselves graduating from high school or going to college or um, being well-kept. And why don't they see themselves being able to progress that way? I think because of the lives that they live in right now. You know, I think because of the level of poverty that many of them live in, because of the level of chaos, because, you know, when, when you're living in certain circumstances, it's very hard to see that there will be anything else. Um, and worse for this population of young people because society basically says that we'll end up like our parents. That you're doomed. 
in many ways, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, I mean, in, in many ways, you get told that. For most Americans, prison is a horrifying world, populated by violence-prone bad actors who must be segregated from society. It is frightening, alien, dangerous, something many of us prefer not to think about. But incarceration profoundly affects society as a whole. For one thing, the vast majority of people locked up are eventually released. For another, their families can be deeply scarred by the experience, often at higher risk for a host of social and even legal problems. In Philadelphia, former mayor Wilson Good has championed the cause of children whose parents are involved in the criminal justice system. I went to a local prison, and in the prison I saw a grandfather, a father and a grandson in the same jail at the same time, and they met for the first time in jail. How could they have met the first time in jail? They, they, they had not seen each other. Uh, that, that it is possible, especially in the African-American community, uh, that fathers are taken off, are taken away, uh, uh, either when a child is born or before a child is born, uh, and they go off to jail. And because of the distance which the uh, child lives from the prison, uh, it is absolutely uh, possible uh, to be able to uh, have parents uh, who are incarcerated, who've never seen their children. Wilson Good, who is now an ordained minister, comes to this problem from personal experience. When he was 14, growing up in North Carolina, Good's father was sentenced to prison for assault. It removed an important influence from the boy's developing years. Someone who was strong and, and even though he could not read or write, would always tell me, uh, Wilson, you're going to be something one day. Uh, you're going to be an important person one day, so uh, learn all you can. Someone who literally encouraged me, and so he was taken out of uh, my life at that, age, at that at early age. It was devastating to me, it was absolutely devastating. And what was more, more even devastating was, at that time in the South, uh, they had what we call uh, these chain gangs where they would bring uh, the prisoners out to do work on the roads, and they brought my father uh, directly back along the roadway where our farm was. And so we were able to uh, see him um, on numerous occasions working, cutting grass, in prison, garb, uh, out there, uh, and he was able to see us. Was that embarrassing to you? Um, I don't recall being embarrassed. Uh, what I recall was uh, being lonely, just feeling um, as if I was determined to not let that happen to me. And I recall how 
fortunate I was to have someone in my life who mentored me, who made sure that the negatives of high school counselors and other people saying that you will never amount to anything did not come true. Wilson Good found support in his church community. The local pastor's family recognized Good's potential and took the initiative to spend time with him, guide him, nurture him. I was actually um, the only person in my peer group in that community that went to college. And the only person of my uh, six siblings that went to college. So it was a very significant intervention and very significant influence in my life. And was, was it because they believed in you? It was because they believed in me. Uh, and it was because they uh, were able to see in me what others could not see. And they had faith uh, in me. Today, Reverend Good leads the Amachi program, a national effort that matches volunteer mentors with children of incarcerated parents. Amachi is a word from West Africa which means who knows but what God has brought us through this child. Kids who see many adults in their neighborhood going to prison gain an opportunity to spend time with doctors and lawyers and others who offer a new window on what life can be like. I do know that one hour, once a week, uh, will do something significant. I also know... And why do you think that is? Because an hour a week sounds like a fairly minimal presence. But for someone who uh, has never uh, talked to a lawyer... A young man who never talked to have a lawyer spend an hour talking with the child or hanging out with the child or shooting hoops with the child or having a McDonald's hamburger with the child or going to the library with the child or going to a museum with the child. Uh, uh, that is something which is absolutely significant in the life of that child, and it's transforming. Another approach to reaching the vulnerable population of young people with parents in the criminal justice system is being tried at Visitation Valley Middle School in San Francisco. An estimated 25% of the students here have parents who are now or have been previously in prison. Their stories are not unique. Broken families, being shuffled from home to home, having uncomfortable visits with an incarcerated parent. I talked with Danny, age 12. What was it like when you were a little kid to go into San Quentin prison? I really couldn't tell because I was so small and I didn't know what it was. It's just that, because I didn't even know my dad when I was, and then they just say, this my dad, and I just sit there and look at him. Was it scary to be in there? No? I had a few dreams about it, though, when the first time I went. Tell me about them. Like, I go there, and then somehow I get stuck there, and my grandmother leave, and then I just be in this room by myself, and it just be totally just dark around.
easing these kids out of their anxieties and frequently a sense of social stigma and offering them a positive future to work toward is the goal of Rachel Keller with a Bay Area organization called Community Works. She's a full-time social worker at the school, counseling some 25 kids. Are they ashamed at having a parent in prison? Some are. Um, when we first ask the history, um, you know, as to why they would, you know, be appropriate for the program, they talk about uncles or aunts or cousins, and then after they've gained trust in the program, they often reveal that it's actually their father or their mother or their sister or brother. And so it's, it's definitely society does not make that something to be proud of or something that you should be open about or get rewarded for in any way, even though it's something that's absolutely not their fault. Um, and so that is a large focus of it, is to try to create a place where that isn't something they have to be ashamed of. How do you do that? Well, part of it is the, the gathering together as a group. Um, it is the, um, the collective experience of knowing that you're not alone. And part of it also is the other support that I do, which is um, trying to focus on their strengths and the ways that they can really impact their own future. And we do a lot of discussion around that and how they don't have to go down the same path. And we do field trips and we take them on outings and things to try and um, expose them to lots of different things so they see that they have lots of options. Having a parent sent to prison can be a hugely destabilizing force in the life of a child. A breadwinner becomes absent, a caregiver is removed from the home, and sometimes the children seem to fall through the cracks of dysfunctional families. With his father in prison, Danny says he sometimes couldn't depend on his mother either. She'd leave and she'd go with her friends and stuff, and then I, I used to be at home by myself. How old were you when you were left alone? I was like six or seven. That was hard for you? Mm hmm To be left alone? But then sometimes my grandmother that passed away, she would just try her best and then she would just come get me. Because my mama, she just, she smoked weed a lot. That's the only thing my mama really do is just smoke weed a lot. That's the only thing she do. Children of prisoners have always had to cope with unusually heavy hardships. But now, given the enormous increase in the number of people behind bars, whole communities must face the social consequences. Jeremy Travis of the Urban Institute in Washington. I was in Austin, Texas recently and speaking to a school principal who heads up an elementary school in a Latino community there. And she estimated that 30 to 40 percent of the children in her school at some time over the school year would have a parent or uh, older sibling involved in the criminal justice system. 30 to 40 percent. 30 to 40 percent. So the question for this school principal is how does her guidance staff, how do her teachers, how do even the cafeteria workers in her school understand this reality and look for those signals and signs in the young people in their school, that maybe they need help. Of particular concern to child welfare professionals is the continuing rise in the number of women who are incarcerated, now up to about 7% of all inmates. When the parent is a mother, and the mother is sent off to prison, somebody has to figure out who's going to take care of the kid, because usually the mother is the primary uh, caregiver. 
So we have now increasingly in uh, these neighborhoods of high criminal justice involvement the phenomenon of grandparents taking care of their children's children because the mother, typically, is sent off to jail or prison. I do all I can for the kid. He don't want to listen, but I know, you know, they're crying for help. In other words, they're crying for help, and I'm trying to help them as best as I know how. In Oakland, Linda Louvier has a heartache. Her daughter, who had previously been jailed in California for passing drug-related money, was released and then incarcerated again, this time for assaulting the landlord. The daughter's legal fate is not yet known. Also hanging in the balance is the fate of her three sons, aged 10 through 13. One lives with the father, and the others initially moved in with Linda. One of them has now gone to a group home. Linda Louvier, meanwhile, is recovering from a series of strokes that have impaired her ability to walk. I still feel for my grandkid. I feel for my daughter. You know, I love them. That You know, it all hurts. And it hurts me real bad that she got herself in position and then sent me ugly notes that I need to bring her kid. I'm not bringing the kids to penitentiary. I don't, I don't choose to do, um, visit no penitentiary. Tell me why. Tell you why? Because she was out and she should have had the initiative to take care of her kids and she wouldn't have been back there. I don't drive a car. I do bus and bikes. That's my sole transportation. And I take the kids there with bus and bikes. But I don't choose to do that. Because on Saturday, it's my day to rest and get ready for me to go praise the Lord on Sunday. I went there like three times in a row to bring her kids to see her, and my ID had expired. Your ID? My ID had expired. So I brought them a couple of times, but they didn't let me in. So, what you do? So I figured, well, I try that again and get rejected again. I don't like rejection too bad. It's not good. It's not good. So I just let that go. I allowed them, to, I allowed to allow myself to pay high phone bills so she could talk to the kid, and that wasn't good enough. You know, you could do so much, but I cannot straighten out the things she did for herself. She did this to herself. I didn't do that to her. Why aren't these kids living with the father? Because is it the same father for all three? No, it's not. It's not. Okay. It's not. The two boys. His wife did bad things to the kids. He did bad things with the kids. What do you mean when you say they did bad things to the kids? They beat them. They beat them. That's what they told people. They beat them. The lady used to slap them around, beat them, and everything. That's why they really gave me the kids without a fuss. I did for them what I could. You know, I loved them. I hugged them. I gave them all the things they needed because they need help. Because most prisoners do eventually re-enter society, they frequently must face the families left behind by their incarceration. In some cases, the crimes were so horrific that the families want nothing to do with the ex-inmate. 
but often they do resume contact, sometimes returning to their loved ones. What's your main message to prisoners who have children? That it's not about them anymore. That when you have children, you forfeit the right to be selfish and self-absorbed. Imani Davis. I honor the fact that, I, that, that being in the situation that they're in forces them to be incredibly self-absorbed um, and, and daily the only thing that they really can and should focus on is their own survival, but that they need to pull back when it comes to their children understand that their children didn't create the situation they did and that um, they are completely and 100% responsible for the impact that it's had on their lives. I'm very hard on them, you know, and I, and I answer the questions that they want to know and I tell them the truth, stuff that they really don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that their daughters get raped while they're gone, you know. They don't want to hear that their daughters are with guys that beat them. They don't want to hear that their sons, you know, are, you know, involved in the same activity they were involved in. They don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. Everybody needs to sign in. This is a parenting class held weekly at the San Francisco County Jail for prisoners who've recently been released. Like the program for middle school students, it's conducted by Community Works. On this morning, about 25 ex-prisoners are seated in rows, some staring at the floor, some joining in the discussion. I've been out uh, for one week now. What's the hardest part? The hardest part is just like we walking up 6th Street, right? And you know when you get to 6th Admission, you know there's a lot of stuff going on, right? And it's easy to get caught up into that. I'm talking about drugs, I'm talking about pimping, I'm talking about everything. You know, a lot of negative, you know, you see it, but then, you know what I mean? It just get, comes, to, it hits you back in the, you know, back in the head like, wow. So this time I walk two blocks this way, and then I'm out of here. The class is led by Corey Monroe, whose late father was incarcerated. Corey managed to stay out of trouble with help from the Omega Boys Club in San Francisco. Now 33, he guides the ex-inmates through some concepts of healthy parenting. The more parents work with their children and start working and doing what's right, young people keep you out of trouble. They tire me out every day. When I play with them and have a little fun basketball, I was racing with them the other day. I was winning, so I got to the middle. I don't know what happened. Everybody just, <laughs> just passed me up. But by, by the time you do all this with young people, guess what at the end of the day? You beat. You tired. For me, right, I got four kids. Basically, my life um, is, was going in and out the penitentiary, the county. I could see the, the effect. You know, I, I say, how you doing, son? And he, like, nod his head, like, you know, where you been? And uh, it hurts, you know. So uh, right now I'm trying to do uh, a lot of restoration work around my kids. Um, they feel that emptiness, right? So I'm just trying to restore that bond back with them. And it's hard right now because my ex-partner, you know, she's also feeling that, is he really going to change? Because he's been selling in these lies for, for years, you know, telling them, yeah, I'm going to get out and do good. Next thing you know it, I'm back in the system, right? So, you know, they feel they feel the pain, but, but like now, it's up to me. You know, I got to make change within myself. I have a son who's 12, and right now he's in a foster home, and... Because of my disease of alcohol and drugs, I kept going in and out of jail and out of jail. 
and um, he kept seeing me doing this. He'd, I'd say one thing, I'd say I'd try, I'd go, to, I'd go into a treatment program, come out, do well for a while, and then I would relapse in behavior, and then the consequences of my, my actions would cause me to um, end up in county jail again. So basically, at this point, I decided that I had to get myself together, that I couldn't, I, I had to really do this for me and not just keep, keep making him promises and falling out the loop with, in regards to um, interacting with him. So I decided that before I go back to him this time, that I would have a year to year, two years clean. I know he's healthy. I know he's in a safe place. Where is he? He's in a foster home. Uh, at location, I do not know. They won't give you that information. So you're not in contact with no, him? No, at this point, I'm not in contact. He's angry. He did not want to speak with me. Why is he angry at you? Obviously, because I failed at what I promised. Because he was neglected. You know, I neglected him because of my disease, because of my behavior. Although criminal activity and prison can leave families drastically damaged, sometimes beyond repair, the focus of many social service providers is to try to heal these relationships. It gives the best chance, they say, to restore ex-prisoners and their families to stable lives. And healing relationships can start with communication while the inmate is still incarcerated. Jeremy Travis. The best thing we can do when a parent is away in prison is try with all of the resources at our disposal to maintain as normal a relationship as we can over that distance. We should, for example, and it's being done here in Washington and in other communities, establish video links between prisons and community centers so that a child can come home after school, get on the video link, tell her dad how she did on the homework. We should establish, as has been done in some states in the country, summer camps where children can go spend not just a couple hours, but a week uh, with their parents while their parents in prison. So the kid takes up residence for a week in a prison? They establish a camp somewhere on the prison grounds where parents and children can spend time together. My visceral reaction to that is, sounds kind of awful to put a kid through that. We try to normalize an abnormal relationship. We're trying to create connections when connections have been broken. Um, my mom's in prison did a whole, a whole slew of creative things um, to help the women there build relationships with their children, even in spite of the distance that incarceration creates. Both of Chesa Boudin's parents were imprisoned in connection with the murder starting when he was one year old. They had uh, a program called Story Corner, where women were given access to a, a simple tape recorder and they were allowed to read books or sing or read poetry or simply tell their kids how much they loved them. And that's something that my mom took advantage of and you know, was able to send me cassette tapes that I could pop into my Walkman. And when I was walking to school or when I was going to baseball practice or when I was doing my homework, I could listen to her reading me a story. I could listen to her telling me she loved me. And when I was feeling down and I wasn't allowed to call her, it made a huge difference to hear her voice just coming across the cassette. I could pop it in any time I wanted. And that's not a program available to the vast majority of, of, of prisoners in this country, in spite of the fact that it would be extremely cost-effective, extremely easy logistically to provide that service. The circumstances of imprisonment make a normal parent-child relationship virtually impossible. But for Chesa Boudin, a loving adoptive family made the best of a trying situation. Bill Ayers in Chicago is his adoptive father. We felt it was hugely important that, um, that he get a sense of coherence and um, 
and no shame. And I can tell you one of the things that strikes people to this day, but it really knocked people out when he was 7, 8, 9, 12, 14, is that he never hides the fact that he has biological parents in prison. He doesn't brag about it. He doesn't foreground it. But it's just a fact of his life. Um, it would be like somebody else having an aunt who works in the circus. I don't know. I mean, it might be strange, but it's not shameful. And for Chesa, this has never been shameful. Uh, it's the it's the hand he was dealt. It's the hand he's had to learn to live with. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Special thanks to Marjorie Holloway, Molly Peterson, Arlene Lee, Ruth Morgan, and Megan Harding. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, part two of Children Left Behind, is Humankind Program number 88. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.